Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of TheMindRenewed.com coming to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And welcome to a show that I think is going to be slightly unusual given the normal kind of content that we have here at the programme. We're going to be speaking or interviewing or being interviewed, I don't really know actually, but as far as I'm concerned at this very moment I'm going to be interviewing Michael Basham, who is the host and creator of Spirit Wars, the website and podcast. Podcast uh, is uh, featured over at Fringe Radio Network, which the Mind Renewed has now become connected to. I think it was a couple of years ago. John McMahon kindly invited me to join that network, and uh, after <laughs> after a lot of soul searching, I decided yes, I shall join. And so now I have joined that particular network, and Michael Basham is there with Spirit Wars as well, and uh, we decided that we would have a conversation I'm quite sure who was interviewing who but it doesn't really matter we're going to have a very unstructured unplanned chat now about various matters and I'm hoping that Michael is there somewhere are you there to be spoken to I'm here Julian thank you for having me on and I've been waiting my entire life for this moment <laughs> oh it's very very kind of you Anyway, I'm going to be asking you some questions. You're going to be asking me some questions. So let me uh, start first of all. You do sure. this show called Spirit Wars, um, which has been going for, I'm not quite sure actually how long. It's not that long, is it? A couple of years? Yep. Yeah, about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And you're already on to show about 999,000, aren't you? Oh, we're getting there. Yeah, we do almost every day going live. Even if you have no resources, um, <laughs> we'll do a show. <laughs> And where are you based? Currently, we are in Waikiki, Hawaii, just down the street from Pearl Harbor, where, well, a few hours from Pearl Harbor, where we had uh, the wonderful interaction with Asia. I just moved here from Taiwan, having lived in Japan for two years, China for two years, and Taiwan for almost 10 years. And um, I came here because of a show that I did with my wife. We decided to get married and move here, so... Now we're reporting to you live from the new studio, which is thanks to the generous support of our friends on Patreon, which I want to thank. Excellent. And you speak Chinese, I understand. Is that actually how you earn your living? Wow. Fringe Panda. We have a show, bilingual, for those who want to learn Chinese or English. Um, and it's kind of also an undercover missionary operation. I was a missionary for about 10 years, too. So... Um, Using Chinese, Japanese as well. Nihongo mo dekimasu. Oh, wow. Uh, which is, it's like having too many cars, though. You don't know which one to, you can only drive one at a time, and you only have so many hours in the day. So most of the stuff we do is in English right now. But That's amazing. Um, Those are particularly difficult languages to learn, I understand. Uh, maybe you'll correct me on that. But uh, how did you get into learning Oriental languages? Um, just being very extremely bored in a very extremely boring but beautiful part of the planet called Naples, Florida. When I was in high school, I was homeschooled, which is one of the reasons that we got into this stuff, podcasting world. And uh, Japanese was just the most alien fringe thing that I had ever seen and beautiful. My parents got the very first Christian satellite, uh, Sky Angel, back in the late 90s. And somehow, by some fluke, we had... Japanese TV broadcast live into our house every afternoon for about an hour and a half. So I would run home from school and just watch the news and not understand a single word of it and just be like, whoa. <laughs> and uh, went to Japan uh, several times. Um, yeah. I met the Lord when I was around that age. So yeah. everything was just, let's learn Japanese and let's learn the Bible. Mm. You know, 
I'm 35 now, so it's been a long, long journey. And you were brought up in a Christian household, is that right? Yes. Um, the first cult okay. that I was actually in was um, my grandfather helped to begin the shepherding discipleship covenant movement with uh, Derek Prince and friends back in the 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. My parents, obviously, they carried on the faith after that fell apart in the late 80s. But it was very much like a just believe in God, son kind of thing. So giving me a lot of freedom. We read a lot of C.S. Lewis, a lot of the foundational authors. And then um, I had a chance to just explore my faith without uh, a control freak church pastor, as many people have engaged with. So. Now, you say that you've been connected to a number of new religious movements, cults, whatever you want to call them. Um, I will come to ask you in more detail about this later on, but I understand that you you were into the Family International? Yes. um, When I was in Japan studying at a Jesuit university, I ran into a girl that introduced an entirely unknown sphere of Christendom, which turns out they really were evangelical Christians that just had a lot of very fringe beliefs. And I ended up joining the family, the children of God. You can look on Netflix and see some scary documentaries about them. But um, for about two years, I was completely in the cult. And then the preceding eight or so years being around a lot of the ex-members. And and to this day, I still reach out to and I I help people get out of that programming and and find God for themselves and away from that the past because there was a lot of destructive aspects to the family right uh, there's a lot of ptsd among yeah. members so we'll, we'll talk about that I, absolutely i loved your show about cults that was really fascinating yeah i really do want to talk about that because i mean just having looked at it uh, a little bit earlier today actually when i had a little bit of time away from my rather boisterous son today oh, congratulations <laughs> i got the impression that the organization has actually reformed to quite a considerable extent that back in the day it was a lot more controversial than it is now would you think that's true that is a really multi-layered fringe layer cake question because okay. you could say that they're reformed but there has been no resolution to a lot of the abuse that took place so okay. it's very sneaky what the official group is doing now although they for all intents and purposes it's pretty much over the structure is completely destroyed and the leadership and everything has disappeared. Right. Everybody left. The only people that are hanging around are doing so for very dubious mm. causes, in my opinion. Okay, well, It's we, a great yeah. story. Mm. We could talk for hours about yeah, that. I, yeah, I will probe you about that later. Okay, good. Um, okay, well, let me ask you then about the philosophy of your podcast, Spirit Wars. I mean, I'm going to ask you why you call that. Presumably, it's because of Star Wars, but you've got this... <laughs> you, well, a little bit. Uh, you keep talking in terms of spiritual warfare, but the way in which you talk about it is, a, is in a very science fiction kind of way. And you're not talking about science fiction. You're obviously talking about spiritual things, but you dress it somehow in the language of this fantastical universe of science fiction. You know, I find that very interesting that you're doing that. Um, it's very entertaining, but it also gives it a freshness, as if what you're talking about is is new and countercultural and all that sort of thing, whereas actually what you're talking about in terms of the substance is quite traditional spiritual warfare material. Um, how would you sum up the philosophy of your podcast? Well, um, first of all, like being totally yourself and being crazy and ridiculous and enjoying the fact that most people look at you and they're like, what's wrong with you? You're not normal. <laughs> and then telling them everything that you're, oh, I was in a cult. I went to Japan and I'm, 
you know, now I'm talking to interdimensional thing. And so I had someone recently like accuse me of being an interdimensional crusader. And then I thought that is such a cool name. I'm totally taking that. That is so cool. And uh, but I mean, basically, that just means an evangelist, doesn't it? Well, but in the future, in the in this age <laughs> yeah. where everybody's watching, you know, science fiction all the time and Netflix documentaries about MK Ultra oh. or um, Stranger Things and OA and Avengers, and you have to speak the language of what's happening. And it turns out, if you've watched as many weird things as I have, there's a big possibility. And I'm not saying I believe everything that you see on the internet, obviously, but there's a <laughs> big possibility that a lot of really out there things are true. Hmm. I've encountered supernatural things during my travels, sure. for sure, that do not hmm. fit in the grid. And Spirit Wars is the philosophy is something between Star Trek and Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, where you're just we're on a mission into the most out there frontiers of what we can find. And yet we're armed with our spiritual weapons where, you know, shields up, you know, watch out, breach detected, heresy alert, xenomorph slaughtering guests and co-workers put your armor on and then that's obviously i don't believe that we're just physically in a starship but the aspect of aliens and everything there is something spiritual about that but we've started to develop this new concept of a spirit force of people who are yes. engaged in this kind of modern evangelizing warfare absolutely and it's it's like trump has a space force let's go let's go all out spirit force like who wants to be a spirit force warrior and god will organize it i don't have any time to organize another cult so it'll just be oh i'm so glad yeah. to hear that yes people keep accusing oh by the way you're starting a cult <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh dear i love the way you go into characters as well because that reminds me very much of john McMahon. sorry johnny iron yes i must use his proper stage name here johnny iron of course he does that and he he has said that you're very much influenced by him now you admit that don't you um, I've always been a big fan of The Iron Show. I've listened to The Iron Show since 2012, since I found the fringe Christian movement, thanks to some of my friends. And he's just such a great inspiration because Christian shows, they're still, they take themselves so seriously sometimes. And when you have John McMahon saying, like, oh, the poor chickens all in wind, cold, trying to huddle huddle together. <laughs> Matthew doesn't make you want to cry. It's a very good impersonation. Nobody can do it. <laughs> you can. But They're not quite right, no, but it's pretty good. It's better than I could do, for sure. Oh, it's just... By the way, I got a quote from John, actually, earlier today. I asked him if he would sum up what Spirit Wars is about. And here's his quote, all right? Are you ready for this? Okay. Quote. Okay. Spirit Wars is a triage for wounded soldiers... With special powers. That's good. <laughs> well, every time you get a limb blown off, you just put a cybernetic one on there. So it turns into a weapon. <laughs> Go on. Can you unpack that for us? Spirit Wars is triage for wounded soldiers with special powers. What does triage even mean? Like a trio? Like oh, It's like, you know, when you go to an emergency room and uh, first nurse sees you, gets an impression of what, what the problem is, and then you're passed on to the doctor. Okay. It's very much similar to that because, you know, coming from situations where there is spiritual warfare, I mean, it's a real thing. Jesus said that they will come after you. There's there's an aspect to that which is really deep, which I'll probably have to just go on a rant for like two hours. But I thought you'd left the room for a moment then. I'm sure I heard a door shut. My beautiful wife just came in to oh, just bless us and okay. she blew us a kiss and then walked away. But <laughs> Okay. Um, 
yeah, there's a real aspect to that. I've I've met a lot of people who have given up the ghost and the spirit. Um, I had a, I have a vision recently, just kind of lying in the bed, just seeing a spacecraft among lots of trash that needed to be purged. And this, this craft had great shields and very strong, and it was about to be dumped into a volcano to just purge out all the wood, hay, and stubble, as Jesus said. You know, everything that's not built of me will be destroyed. And it was like we were all safe. I was with a bunch of other warriors, and we were in this thing. And But suddenly, as we were plunged into the lava, and, you know, we're in this very high-tech, really spacious, very luxurious enterprise type of situation, I had this, like, blaring alarm of one of us is sabotaging the operation. It's going to open one of the pod bay doors, you know, and just, like, yelling, like, everybody get your armor on right now. Like, this is about to – and then anybody that was just kind of comfortable that, like, oh, we're in the movement. We're all together and whatever. And But they didn't have their armor on was destroyed as the whole thing was destroyed. And the Bible says many have become shipwrecked in their faith. And um, coming through different battles and, and movements, I've noticed people in their pride, they get lifted up, they get offended easily. And then next thing you know, they're opening the pod bay doors and they're going to take as many people as they can with them. And and you're left kind of swimming alone for a while. You know, Hopefully you have your armor on and you can survive, you know, excruciating heat. But then you find another one. You know, God always has another where his Holy Spirit is moving that you'll be able to rebuild. And that's what I'm looking at as far as this network of podcasters and warriors and people, the guests that we're interviewing and people that we're meeting on the street. A lot of them aren't <laughs> even public yet, that it's really an army. And we really do have a real enemy too. Mm, you know, sure. the Antichrist is a real thing. You know, that stuff is not just a fictional, you know, story. But Yes, I mean, I, I agree, will be. Yes, whether he or it or whatever is around at the moment, I don't know. But I, I certainly agree that, yes, this is something that's going to happen on the world stage. And I, I do tend to think it's going to be a person. How that will manifest, I don't know. And when it will manifest, I have no idea. It's interesting hearing you speak there, the fact that you do use this kind of sci-fi language in the way you're talking, but you're using it metaphorically all the time. But it reminds me actually slightly of some of the imagery you know of uh, Second Temple Judaism that you actually find in the Bible. Okay, that was relevant to them at the time, speaking in those kinds of terms. So in a way, you're sort of speaking in the metaphors of today, but that's from a biblical point of view, that seems to be quite justified, so long as we understand that it is metaphors. You say you're not there sitting there at the moment in a spacecraft, but it's a useful metaphor to talk about. Um, and I think that's really interesting. That's one of the things that certainly attracted me to your podcast and the way you do things. Well, thank you. And um, I'm going to start interrogating you pretty soon, Julian. But it's it really is a lot of it is just imaginary yeah. uh, language yeah. that if you look at some of the other shows, um, you know, the Flying Penguins and Tony Floyd, you know, Starship Commander, and, uh, a lot of the Christian mystics that we're interviewing as well. A lot of these Christians take their imaginations really seriously, and it's kind of scary sometimes. So I love to just inject a little bit of like, well, how far are you ready to take this, bros? Because mm. I'm ready to go to the New Jerusalem and ask Jesus if he wouldn't mind sending those Armageddon horses a little bit early. <laughs> well, and, no, there's, there's yeah. one. The New Jerusalem, of course, so there you have a bit of biblical symbolism there. So, I mean, yes. how would yes. you put this into the sci-fi language if you had to translate it for a modern generation? It's a mothership. I mean, look at it. It's a giant spaceship that's coming out of the sky, whether it's another dimension or space, I do not know. But 
it's roughly the size of the moon, which is humongous. If the moon were to land on the earth, it would take up the same mm. space if it were flat as <laughs> like the entire United States. <laughs> you know? So you're a flat earther. I knew it. I knew it. You know what's funny about flat earth? I actually did write a book, but it's probably so embarrassing to read that I would never promote it, except I'm shamelessly doing it right now. But I had a vision of a flat earth shaped spacecraft that was the size of a big city. And I was just playing with this thing, you know, writing, you know, this is something that came from the New Jerusalem. And I asked the Lord to send it to some Mars mission battles or something. And I just kind of explored it. And Enoch comes and, you know, infiltrates it. And he has a lot of fun with some of these saved beings inside. And it's it's kind of just a sci-fi heavenly fan fiction. The model in my head of that was exactly Rob Skiba's and everybody's flat earth model. Of like the giant sea turtle with the globe on it, with the bubble. Yeah. I mean, those guys stole my concept and they think that's reality. Well, that's fine. They can spend all the time they want. That's the problem, isn't it? They think it's reality, whereas you and I know that we're talking metaphor here. And I actually, I love the idea of the mothership being the size of the moon and coming down to Earth. If it was that massive and it was coming down to Earth, then it would completely dominate the planet. And that's the picture we get with the New Jerusalem of heaven and earth being united, don't we? And God's purpose is being fulfilled finally with a transformation of the whole of reality, including the transformation of those who are alive and those who are dead being given resurrected bodies, etc. It's a total transformation of reality. And I think the mothership of that size coming to earth, mm-hmm. that's actually quite helpfully picture picture that for us doesn't it in sci-fi imagery although we all know it's not going to be exactly like that but that's helpful it's <laughs> it's okay to at least have an image i mean the family mm. cult that i was in the in the 80s i don't know why they had so much time to do this but they spent months and months and months just drawing these posters of the new jerusalem and of course it was hippies and you know a lot of um a lot of boobs showing and a lot of kids you know and <laughs> It looked like a big hippie sleepover in some of the mansions, but at least they tried to draw it. It just got my imagination flowing about, well, what else is there? You know, and then when that group stopped getting visions and things, it was like, well, who else has visions? You know, there was a guy named Jerry Lee. Um, He goes by the title The Manifestor Yada, if anybody wants to listen to some really trippy stuff. He just passed away. God bless his family and everything. But he would go into the Melchizedek thing. And he knew the Bible backwards and forwards. And um, he was of the opinion that Enoch went to a planet when he ascended. And that Melchizedek was a son of Enoch, which is why he didn't have any um, seed to speak of on the earth. And that the original Salem was one of these dome craft from the father's house planet that came down and met Abraham. And and I thought that was such a cool theory because nobody could say that couldn't have happened. I mean, there's no proof of that, but it, it fits the Bible. If you know the Bible, it's like, well, why not? You know? and, yeah, this, um, is, this is where we're parting company, because I think at that point, it's moving out of just picture language to be helpful in explicating what's clearly taught in the Bible. And it's speculating wildly beyond it what... It is speculative. And I think that actually can be quite quickly damaging if you're not careful. Um, and that's one of the things that I, Could be. I, I said that we were not going to talk about the Nephilim thing, but, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just come up in my mind. It's very easy for that kind of thing to get off the rails very quickly and become extremely speculative, certainly when you join it to matters of eschatology. Mm-hmm. Um, Good point. So that sort of thing doesn't actually do anything for me. In fact, it makes me feel rather wary when you talk about that kind of thing. 
I wouldn't recommend people listen to him without having a very firm biblical foundation, which is why we always recommend that you just spend time with the Lord on your own with the word and sure. go somewhere new. Go to the go to Nepal, go hike around the Himalayas for a few months and go to India. The spiritual side of Asia really did affect me. I'm, I'm realizing that now living in a country where nobody cares what you think theologically hmm. for years. I didn't have a shepherd, you know, monitoring my brain. Like, is your mind renewed or is it getting degenerated? <laughs> Although you did to a certain extent, didn't you? Because you said on one of your podcasts that G.K. Chesterton was very influential in your understanding of what was going on in Asia spiritually. He saved me. So, in fact, you did have a mentor there. Oh, my gosh. He's inside your mind. Oh, man, without Chesterton. But if you know Chesterton, I mean, that guy is almost like acid for your intellect. C.S. Lewis and friends keep you in the Protestant kind of, you know, very careful. You know, all those those pastors at the local church, they're all going to quote C.S. Lewis beautifully. Nobody touches Chesterton for more than five seconds because it's like opening the Stargate. Do you think that's just because of his Catholicism? Oh, no. Um, the Catholics don't deserve Chesterton. Uh, Chesterton, Alistair, in the words of Aleister Crowley, Chesterton was the great crusader for Christianity. And hmm. and Chesterton, of course, abhorred Crowley. Um, I think you and uh, William Ramsey are both the most eloquent podcasters in this whole spectrum of podcasting. But Ramsey found that quote. He's an expert on Aleister Crowley. Oh, yes. And and was like, he interviewed me and he was like, hey, you, you're into Chesterton. Did you know he talked about Crowley? And Chesterton was just loath to even think about Crowley. He just despised even interacting with him and, and refused to meet with him. But Crowley had this weird obsession with Chesterton. So he really? That is fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yes. And mm. Chesterton was the apologist. He was like the mind renewed again and again and again through that Victorian upbringing and education, having absorbed just every literary masterpiece. And if you read The Everlasting Man, which is the book that got C.S. Lewis saved, it is the red pill times. It's like a condensed ultra red pill it's like the whole bottle of red pills how fascinating yeah i must read that i haven't read that um i did many many years ago i waded through orthodoxy okay uh yeah i've not read that one we regularly read chesterton on my show whenever i have a chance i just jump into a whole chapter of one of his books and yeah i really must um, read chesterton now, you, you, i think so it's gone. very i mean it's already over like almost 100 years old i believe yeah. pre-world mm. two and yet you say it feels quite up to date in the things it's talking about. Everything he said is coming true. You read What's Wrong with the World about liberal feminism. It's exactly what's happening now, except he just picks it apart in like a few seconds. He's like an Aikido master that he just like everything he touches, he can just like beat it with, you know, using the enemy's <laughs> momentum against. He is Father Brown, isn't he? Yeah, that's what it is. Yes. Oh, yeah. Father Brown. He is. Yeah, that's, that's exactly yeah. who he is, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Okay, so you said that you're going to ask me questions because I still want to ask you about the family. So what should we do? Should I go straight on to the family or do you want to ask me things first? You can. I mean, I would be interested in why are you interested in, in cults? Because um, you're jumping right into my like core you know, nexus drive here. And you interviewed someone that was um, writing novels about being inducted into cults. I listened to it at the gym a few weeks ago and loved that conversation. I was like, man, you're mm. on the trail of the cults. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad you found that an interesting conversation. That was, I think, the third time I'd spoken to that chap, um, Kay Gordon Newfeld. And I had that conversation essentially because he told me he had written a new book. So he sent it to me and I thought it was well worth discussing. I, I really did. But the reason I contacted him in the first place was because, you know, I knew he'd been into the so-called Unification Church and I just wanted to speak to somebody who'd had that experience. So it was all part of my ongoing coverage, you know, of, of new religious movements. Mm-hmm. But as to the question of why I'm doing that kind of thing at all, um, mm. when I was first becoming uh, a Christian, I had an interest in Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons because mm. prior to that, they had come to the door and talked to me while I was an atheist. Oh, interesting. Which I wasn't for very many years, but as a teenager, I was an atheist for a short while. And of course, I just ridiculed them, you know, the whole idea of religion, because they were yes. the, the kind of religion they were presenting to me was easy to pick apart, you know, because there were certain aspects to it that were clearly ridiculous, you know. Um, and so I enjoyed that. But then when I that I actually came to faith, I realized that there was a different dimension to this, that mm. although they were still wrong in some aspects of what they believed, I wasn't interested then in ridiculing them, but in understanding more where they were coming from and yes. had more of a, a feeling that I wanted to help them get out of yes. what they were in and to inform other people about the dangers of such ways of thinking. Um, but, I mean, around that time, I also read a book called The Four Major Cults by the mm. academic called Anthony Hoakima about the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, and the Christian scientists, and he included the Seventh-day Adventists in that. And I've, I, There are some unfortunate things about the Seventh-day Adventists, but I wouldn't personally classify them alongside the other three. Mm. However, that's just a by-the-by. But um, having read that, one of the things that struck me was that he said in that book, we must be very careful not to think that people involved in these groups are necessarily not saved. Because he said, Jesus is in there. Yes. You know, because he's there, there is truth in those, not exactly in those doctrines and those systems, but he himself is there and there's some of his truth there. Mm-hmm. So it's rather dangerous of us to say that people are necessarily not saved because I think it's possible that some people could be saved almost in spite of mm-hmm. the distorted teaching that's in those groups. And that's always given me a certain, Amen. A, yeah, exactly, a certain balance with respect to all these kinds of things. Um, I often picture this whole question of whether people are saved in other religions and all this kind of thing, I often conceive of it as Jesus being the pinnacle of truth. God has revealed himself through, obviously, himself coming personally to us and revealing what he's like. Jesus being at the pinnacle of a hill, if you like. And as you go down the sides of the hill, there are other belief systems which have different levels of truth in it, and you can get further and further away as you descend the hill. Okay. So I'm very reluctant to say, oh, you know, Christian science is all wrong, or uh, Islam is all wrong, because yes. that's not true, because there are aspects of Islam that right. coincide with Christianity, and insofar as they do coincide, they are right. You know, there is truth in that. It's true. But of course, that does not ignore the fact that there are huge distortions in there which need to be corrected. Exactly. But, I've always had this feeling that in our evangelism, although we're trying to reach people, it's a wrong conclusion to assume that everybody is automatically not of God because they don't believe X, Y, and Z. Do you see what I mean, where I'm coming from with this? I'm not denying the truth of any Christian doctrine, but the world is bigger and our understanding is often less than we think it is. You know what I mean. You get, you know what I, mean. I do, and I'm being so refreshed by just having the opportunity to connect with the intellect of 
Julian Charles. <laughs> it truly is a renewal for the mind to oh, get into the atmosphere that you're breathing because you're not just like hokey going around just accepting anything anyone says. But really with, with respect, with regards to just the atmosphere of of an active intellect coming from the UK and coming from having a Christian foundation, but also being willing to deal with just sort of the Michael Heiser, all this different New World Order information. You were one of the last people to interview Dr. Stan Monteith, if not the last. And so you've been around the block with this stuff, and, and yet you're still you're still open to just engaging with new ideas. And, and, you know, I think if everybody was able to just breathe this kind of oxygen and not be boxed into like, well, my cult guru says, I can't think that way or else I'll get well spanking. Yeah. And, and in fact, I find myself immediately feeling that problem of having said certain things that I think some people will misinterpret straight away. Of course. And it's really difficult to articulate ideas on the fly like this when they are controversial, when they touch on certain red buttons you know, for people. Um, so which is why I wanted to stress that I'm not denying any major Christian doctrine in what I'm saying. And I'm not trying to be woolly liberal or anything like that. I'm just trying to express yes. the idea of the limitations of our own understanding and the greatness of God and the fact that it's his world and he wants to save everybody. Amen. I, mean, I always think of the, there's a great anecdote apparently is based on truth. I try to remember it now. Our pastor in Sheffield used to talk about it, about a missionary. Funnily enough, he went to China. Uh, this might have been back in the 19th century. And this missionary went to speak in one particular town. Presumably it was with translation or whatever. And he was speaking to the whole town. Yeah. And having delivered his message, apparently a very elderly man came from the back of that congregation and walked very slowly up to the front and said to the missionary, the one of whom you speak... I've known all my life until now I didn't know his name. And that's always stuck with me. If you see what I mean, that people may yes. actually know Christ without necessarily having heard his name. But as soon as they actually encounter, they think, ah, that's the one I've always believed in. That possibility, I think, is always there. So my own interaction with this whole business of the cults and new religious movements is always informed by that. I'm not trying to be condemnatory at all. I'm trying to understand the situation, trying to warn people away from the distortions, but always with this sense that the people who I'm concerned about are those that I'm trying to encourage to a fuller understanding of the truth that is in Christ, rather than being condemnatory. That's the point. There's so much to unpack there. And having lived in China, communist China, and then going to Taiwan, which is inheritor of the original Chinese culture, there is that aspect of these people are not, you know, tribal headhunters, which even if they were, those people might have met God at some point too. But there's something in every sphere where humans culture together and create a cult or a culture. I mean, any cult that went on long enough would probably become its own country. Like, <laughs> I always doubt whenever I meet someone from Utah, I'm like, are they one of them? Like, that's the hive mind. That's mother brain, you know. <laughs> but you meet people from China, like even in communist China, they're still burning money for their ancestors because it's just so ingrained. Okay. That idolatry thing is really hard to get rid of. My gosh. Right. Right. Um, but they're not uncultured maniacs that are just like, they're all going to hell because they didn't receive Jesus the way that my pastor just said as you get them. They're really um, mm -hmm. 
in many ways much more civilized than we are in the West. And the Japanese have figured out a long time ago that you don't do certain things that we're doing in the West, you know, and their culture goes back to days they forgot. But it's very possible that, for instance, the Japanese might be a one of the lost tribes of Israel. I mean, you could, that's kind of a jump, but the Chinese... <laughs> you lost me again. <laughs> I know. Just give me one second here. The Chinese okay. are possibly a pre-Abrahamic faith that followed from the teachings of Seth. I'm sorry, uh, Shem, who would have known Enoch. So the I Ching is actually possibly one of Enoch's books, kind of disguised as a new agey kind of thing. But all that to say, these people carry a kind of a connection to God that they themselves don't know. They've inherited a lot of idolatry, a lot of Buddhism, a lot of whatever, Taoism, Shintoism. But, you know, if you get down to the heart of a man, there is something that, um, I mean, they've outlawed child sacrifice thousands of years ago. They are a, a culture that, um, and I'm speaking of having lived there for most of my adult life. Right. I don't know what to do with them because it's like they they already have a lot of the law written in them. They just right. don't know Christ yet. That is very interesting. Um, years ago, I read something by the Baptist theologian Millard Erickson, and he talked about the essence of the gospel. This is only a theory that he put forward. And I've always found it quite illuminating. I think he had, mm. I think there were five principles. He wasn't saying there were, this was necessarily exactly what it is. This was just a way of illustrating his idea. And he had something like, um, you know, that God exists, that God is love, that we are sinners, that we are aware of our sin, that we understand that God wishes to forgive us and that that act of forgiving us is deeply costly to God. These sorts of understandings. And he was putting forth the idea that people who have not explicitly heard of Christ may, by having some sense of this essence of the gospel, find salvation because they have an implicit faith in Christ, even though they haven't heard the name. And that was immediately connected to the anecdote that I shared with you, because if that's the case, then those people, if they heard the gospel properly preached, would then say, I've believed in him all of my life. It's just that I didn't know his name. And how many people are there out there in the world like that who have this essence of the gospel? This has got nothing to do with all religions being the same or anything like that, because I'm yep. talking, as I think Millard Erickson himself would agree, talking about this essence of the gospel, which is intuited, experienced by people in different ways, perhaps even in spite of the religious traditions in which they're brought up. I've always found it a very interesting idea, that one. Um, how do you react? <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I I really um, am in a, in a place now in Hawaii that I have to see uh, evangelism in a, in a totally new way. I've come back to my country after being gone for 10 years and really being out of the West. The most West country I've been in was uh, Nepal. So that's like, wow, this is really uh, Western compared to Asia land. Coming to Hawaii, there's so many Americans that are, I mean, everybody smokes pot here. Everybody's, you know, just curses like a sailor, you know, the new generation. But yet when you love people, when you try to speak their language, I just make fun of them for cursing all the time. I use, I make up my own curse words. <laughs> but when I talk to people at the different jobs that I do or, you know, friends that I, new friends that I've made here, I'm seeing a method of evangelism that's like, all right, God, this person is just a lost cause unless you want to save them because nothing I can ever say to them is ever going to make them change their mind. 
and that's where the Holy Spirit really is useful. Um, yeah. The Holy Spirit is like this, for lack of a better term, like a alien AI interface that just like wraps <laughs> around your brain and it starts to find every little weakness pinpoint. I talked to one gentleman, I hope he doesn't listen to this, but if he does, God bless you, Mr. D. He told me, I don't believe in God. You know, I went to a church when I was a kid and was in the rock band and I went on a turn and they they were told that they were all Christian. You shouldn't drink and smoke. And then after the work worship thing, they were all back there drinking whiskey in, in the tent and stuff. And I just, you know, that's where I departed ways. And I was like, well, I have a, I have a Christian podcast and stuff, but I, I can see. Where you're and, I, and then it was like a few hours later, he was like, well, only thing I can say is, well, after my father passed away, you know, he when before he died, he used to call me, make sure I was up for work, you know, on time. And he would make sure I was always up, not going to be late. And after he had passed away, um, there was one day where, you know, my phone rang. I answered it, and I realized that nobody was on the other line. But I had also realized I'd slept through my alarm, and it was an important day, and I would have been in trouble. So uh, I can't explain that. And, uh, hmm. and then he kind of left it at that. And I'm like, hmm, hmm. got you. We have him in targets, you know, <laughs> fire. <laughs> Holy Spirit, send the Millennium Falcon. That's how I think the winning souls, especially in this dark Western atheistic world, is you really need the Holy Spirit yes. to reach an individual soul. When you're in Asia, same thing. Everybody's Buddhist. You try getting a Buddhist saved. It is not easy. Mm. It takes months and months, years. Right. And they usually, after you give up, then they call you after a few years. I'm a Christian now. And they're like... <gasps> Why didn't you listen to me for so long? And they're like, oh, well, I met this guy on the street, and now I'm a guess I'm a Christian. And you're like, <laughs> you know? That's right. You're just, you're you're just sowing seeds. Yes, indeed. It's hard, isn't it, to be a seed sower only? Yes. Oh, dear. That's certainly my experience, yes. Mm-hmm. I was actually pondering there about the uh, the fact that, certainly in my preaching, which I don't do so much as I used to, that to some people I'm a bit of a liberal in their view, and to others, I'm a bit of a raving fundamentalist in their view. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people can't work me out. I know. But actually, I quite like that position because it means that oh, it's uncomfortable externally, but internally I like it because it, it means that I'm not just trying to fit a particular box in order to look right to other people. Yes. You know, what I'm trying to do is to understand the faith from, you know, my own point of view. And of course, I do fundamentally sure. fit into an essentially evangelical mold because I think that's closest to the Christian faith, as it you know, was delivered by Jesus and the apostles. But there are things in evangelicalism that I think are distorted or simplistic, and there are some things in what you might call, in inverted commas, you know, the liberal way of thinking, which are genuine questions. Sure. I don't really like those categories at all, but uh, I think some people can't understand me when I say something, and they think, oh, that's a fundamentalist thing to say. Oh, that's a liberal thing to say. Um well, why not? We're supposed to be thinking about our faith, aren't we? You know, there was a one of the Mo letters from the cult that I was in. They called them Mo letters, the Moses David uh-huh. letters. And there was 4,000 of them. And some of them were 40 or 50 pages long. Gosh. Small type. So I waded <laughs> through those in my mid-20s because there were always these weird gems that you would never have heard in any church anywhere hmm. of just interesting ideas. And one of them was called the kind of the flatland people and it was like oh my wife just walked in um it was like this picture of people that that live in a two-dimensional reality and whenever someone of another dimension walks in 
they can't picture them. It's like you're activated with the Holy Spirit and you're walking through and it's just like, what is that? Who is that? I don't understand. And, you know, they get angry and you're walking around in the freedom of the spirit and God wants to give you the freedom not to do, you know, not to have like a weird Christian sex bang thing going or which usually it turned into at some point. I will ask you about this. But the idea was great. <laughs> without the sex cult part, your mind without any guards of like what you can or cannot think of course under the power of god's spirit and his word and his rules but not in the church system which you meet people and they're just in these two-dimensional realities they can't think outside of what they've been shown Mm -hmm. and when i get to talk to someone like you it's like oh my goodness you've been you've already been around the galaxy in many directions this is nice (laughs) well i was thinking in very much more mundane terms i'll just give you an example i mean if i go to a church and i sort of speak about let's say uh the first few chapters of genesis and i talk about adam not saying adam was not an historical character or anything like that but just saying well i think that adam should be understood um indeed paul says implies that adam did exist historically but i think it's very clear that adam should also be understood as symbolic of the whole of humanity in rebellion to god when when you get to chapter three of genesis etc some people say oh so you're being very liberal about that you know or that's the impression i get from from some people that you've crossed over from the Mm. this is just history into this sort of woolly broader theology which implies um you know a reading it in a non, non-historical way, etc. And that puts me in the liberal camp with some people's view. Then on the other hand, I'll talk about, you know, the new heavens and the new earth, or I'll talk about yes. Jesus having a physical resurrection body. Okay, not a body like ours, because, of course, it's a body that is transformed and animated by the Holy Spirit. Mm. It's a body, it's temporal, it's physical, you could touch it, it's all that sort of thing. And that's a body that's fit for the new heavens and the new earth, which is why we're promised to have resurrection bodies as well. Mm. And of course, some people say, well, that's far too fundamentalist for me. That is the fundamental there. So that's what I'm trying to say. I go across both of these these boxes. That I understand. Yeah, I follow very well. And I think that's, that is the most important thing, is just the resurrection of Christ physically as a historical event. Had spoken of in the four yes. Gospels. I mean, if you don't believe that, then I don't know I where to start with most people that don't believe that. Well, I just think that the only way you can cope with that, I suppose, if you don't believe that, is not to think too hard about what you do think about the end times, because it all seems to unravel, to my mind. Um, right. Because, I mean, what's the afterlife going to be? Just a disembodied soul floating around on some clouds somewhere? I mean, how does that make sense of this being God's world and him, him wanting to save the whole world and renew it. And yes. none of that seems to make any sense anymore. Whereas taking resurrection seriously as a concrete reality opens the key to the whole fulfillment of history and our own resurrection and salvation of the whole body. It makes complete sense. And so that's why I've certainly in more recent years, I've pushed that in my preaching, but then I get called a fundamentalist. That's fine. <laughs> Which I don't claim to be. I don't claim to be anything. Do you know what I mean? I don't like being put in a box like that. You're just it's a just... Jedi of the truth. And you know, have you have so many different techniques that these people don't know what to do with you. <laughs> That's what we need to be, Jedi. Excellent. Yes. I love the way you do that. Whenever I'm around Christians for too long and I start feeling that stuffy feeling of religion and control, I just, 
I turn on Alex Jones or or <laughs> one of the Mind Renewed episodes, which I'm trying to find some of the. There's a lot of episodes there that aren't on your website that I can. Mm-hmm. I'll have to. Should all be I'll there. have to get the entire. I'm slightly concerned that you've put me in the same category as Alex Jones, though. Oh no! But you've interviewed a lot of people that he has <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. So um, these are info bombs of um, corruption in the government and 9/11 and. These are people that are really serious researchers with lots of degrees and lots of books. And it's just you're a great agent to go and infiltrate those kind of circles, which I don't think I can do. Usually they look look at me for one second. Like, I'm sure you could. Nope, not associating with you, boy. <laughs> Who do you think you are to even email me? You know? Anyway. Um, Where have we got to? I lost track. Actually. Sorry. It's my, it's my train. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Uh-huh. Anyway, I just wanted to sort of interrogate you a little bit more, Julian, because I'm yeah, rambling cool. here. But, um, but first, if you wanted to comment on that, if um, you had anything that you were going to say, and then I'll... Oh, you mean on the Alex Jones thing? Yes. Um, uh, not really. <laughs> no, not really. I use him as an example of being able to affect change in the world, not necessarily like as a model of you know yelling your head off, but three hours a day of a live show for 25 years. That to me, and I keep bringing this up with Johnny, is like, why aren't we doing that? Why don't we have people but then, broadcasting but, live, pushing some agenda? We could be wrong, but you know, but we're going to end up having a yeah. But is that really the way to go? I mean, you know? it certainly gets you an audience, mm-hmm. but in the end, does that actually achieve finding the truth about things? Do you end up being a bit of an echo chamber? Do you? Yes, you do. Create you create this sense that mm-hmm. there are things going on that need to be investigated and it's all very serious, etc. But not as often as it should do. Do you get to the nub of things? Do you get to the truth about things? I mean, no, the thing don't. is, I have no. listened to over the years some interviews with Alex, and some of them I have found really interesting. And in fact, in a handful of cases, I've gone and spoken to the same guest and said, "Will you? Can I speak to you, please?" I mean, Tim Ball would be one. Hmm. Uh, Niels Axel Morner, the C-level expert, was another, because I think it was a really interesting interview, and he, he managed to get to the heart of the issue about that, and I was therefore struck by the interview. But in so many cases, I feel he doesn't. He interrupts too much, and he's he's over the top about it, and he comes over as a bit of a buffoon about it, because he's trying to be so dramatic. And, <laughs> yeah. and I just think, oh, come on, this isn't really... But, and it's all part and parcel of trying to create so much material. I realise that. He has to be a showman because he's doing that. Exactly. I don't want to go that way. So this is why I yeah. would rather produce... What am I doing? One a fortnight or something like that? Oh, that's as much as I can cope with. I mean, I mm. I could just mm. talk like we're doing now, just just chat, 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 chat. Uh, but what what would that achieve? You know? I don't think we need you to talk for three hours every day. That would be out of your character. Yeah. And Chester, you're a journalist too. I mean, Chesterton said about journalism that you shouldn't be forced on this deadline to push out articles every day. Absolutely, um, a journalist should be able to go and and have a picnic on the top of a hill and you know, really ponder about his research and then write something. And that's why a lot of what he produced is some of the top-notch stuff to every subject that he touched. Which is why we have so little real journalism these days, because of the pressure to produce stuff. Exactly. And if you live that kind of uh, luxurious but necessary journalistic life, you wouldn't get a job anywhere. Precisely. And my idea was to have shows like yours broadcast on a a three-hour-a-day 
live transmission, perhaps some of it pre-recorded, but to have, because right now we're assembling, I think we have at least 40 shows on the fringe, which are regularly producing mm-hmm. content, different people that I've interviewed, Sarah Westall, people of really high caliber professionalism to their approach. And they've agreed to let us use their feeds just like you have. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, well, if they're okay with us just using their feed, cause they're all in like, we've got to get the truth out there mode. And they have some really good material. What if we just had a stream every day that just projected like the latest shows and people could just tune into that? You know, I would probably be going live for at least 45 minutes a day. And then you'd have the latest Sarah Westall and and your show and Canary Cry Radio. If Then I'm sure there'll be new shows coming. You know, there's people listening who are waiting to start their own shows. Mm. And that's where I believe that we could really make a difference. Um, oh, I see. Just. Yeah. Just strategically, as far as uh, changing the whole fake news narrative. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but but you need time to meditate. That's the thing. Is like what I was trained to do was every day we had to spend two hours reading the Bible and praying and prophesizing, prophesying or prophesizing, prophesying, yes. prophesying. <laughs> is that what this is? This in the family? Are you talking? Yeah, and that was what attracted me. Oh, okay. It was extremely exciting for a young mind to be like, "Wow, we get to fight demons," and this guy got visions. The reason I joined the family, too, is just to learn how to get visions, how to get into the spirit of prophecy, Right. where it's like, I might be making this up right now, but I feel like this could be God. And then mm-hmm. down the road, some of the things that you get be true. And that's where I believe we do come into the mystic, where God wants to speak to us. It's just how much time mm. are we giving him every day? Well, I do I do believe that prophecy is possible. You know, I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit after today. I'm not a cessationist for, for sure. Um, but I have become very wary of the prophetic scene because Understand. of the kind of something of, you know, what you said there about how do you know whether this is just coming out of the top of your head or whether it really is God speaking. But I've, I have seen so many cases where it's clear to me that the person has indeed been talking from the top of their head. And I've had people prophesy over me in the past, and I now know that what they said was not of God. They were, I'm sure they were doing it with the right intention and all that sort of thing, but it wasn't actually being received from God. So it's a very difficult thing to discern. And I mean, I was looking at some of the, the stuff that was coming out of the family for today's show, and there's some material that supposedly is prophetic which is part of the writings of the family, which is clearly not prophetic. I mean, it's just stuff that's been made up. I mean, um, did he call himself Father David? Is that right? The chap who set it up? David Brandberg was the leader in 1969, and then he passed it on to his wife, um, Karen Zerby. Mm. They did. They were constantly sharing whatever the heck they dreamed or had visions of or anything and the danger was they had nobody checking them so when things were off it was still published and produced as if it was the word of god which obviously oftentimes was if you read it now you're like this is terrible like this is making people lose their actual ability to to hear from god absolutely i mean yeah yeah that was that was wrong that should have never happened that's what you get when you have a cult, when you have people like, you're only allowed to listen to my show when there's like a million channels to listen to, but you only get to listen to one. I went in there with Chesterton and Oswald Chambers and my family stuff and, you know, Rick Joyner and, and a host of other mm-hmm. books and old Catholic books and things that I was like, okay, let's see what you guys have. Now, you have a lot of things that I don't have. You have like these weird revelations that are just extremely cool sounding, like spaceships and keys of the kingdom turning into swords and these lions that come and fight for you and angels with lightning coming out of their eyes and things. 
what I found actually in the group um, experientially was a lot of the people there were on a works trip. They're like, yeah, well, there's this mystic stuff, and yeah, you can look into that, but we have to just do our work today for God. So let's get into the army business of you know managing a, a mission base in China or whatever, and and that's where we parted ways. It was like I want to know. I want to be in the spiritual CIA of, of God, <laughs> whatever God's doing today. I want to be one of those agents. I know he's real. I know his hand is on my life. I've had too many unexplainable experiences. You know, I can't do the whole religion thing. You guys were supposed to be freedom in the spirit. And okay. to me, the biggest beef was was that religion control freak cult thing right? Yeah. that manifested. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was uh, thinking that I understand why you were therefore attracted to that brand of religion because of its charismatic quality, um, which obviously did speak to you. And that's fair enough. But as you've already said, there was a lot of distortion in there. So can I ask you a little bit more about the actual faith itself? Um, okay. Okay, so it was called, uh, it is called the Family International, but it was, I think you've already said, the Children of God earlier on. It's gone through several different changes of name, hasn't it? Was it Teens for Christ when it started? Is that right? Teens for Christ was, uh, that would have been before it started. That was one of the groups, because oh. Virginia Brantberg was a famous TV evangelist, the mother of David Brantberg. Um, and they were really legitimately missionary evangelists, you know, doing it super old school, you know, tent revival meeting style going around all over America. And Teens for Christ was connected to that. And then uh, when the hippie movement started, that connection somehow was made where David met these hippies and then they all kind of congregated around him. And then he started getting these revelations of like who he was. And then they were all like ready to believe anything because it's coming off of like these acid trips. And yeah. uh, and this is when presumably it went to his head. Well, yes, you have like all these young women that are just ready to throw themselves at you and young men that are just going to say, yes, sir, or anything you want to do, sir. And it was really like going and joining his family, his trailer that expanded into a whole mission compound that expanded into like colonies all around the world. Mm. But the saddest, the really the tragedy of it was that behind the scenes, there was this pedophilic spirit. Right. Um, I wanted to ask you about that. Is it a matter of record that the group was involved in that kind of thing, at least at some point? Or is that mere speculation? Once people in the group sued me and all turned against me and gave me the chance to sort of really look at what's going on here, why are they doing this? I realized and I talked to people that were loyal to the Lord, not to the group that admitted in the 80s, there were multiple times where they were encouraged to play with kids and do, you know, introduce children to sexuality. So there's something of the enemy that just loves to pervert somewhere that God is moving. Because these people, these hippies, really were thirsty for Jesus. They really joined with all their heart, like I did, to just be a part of whatever God is doing today. Mm. And Berg really, and other people, they really raped the bride of Christ. They really took that spirit, that innocence and just took that energy and sucked it out. And that's why a lot of the people that you meet that were in it are super PTSD. Like, you can't even imagine how messed up a lot of these people are. You so know? would you say that the... I mean, there are a lot of writings that appear on a website called xfamily.org. Yes. Um, would you say that those writings, those documents that are put there that purport to be by Father David are actually genuine? I mean, I can't prove it, you see, but I read them. 
And uh, there are some remarkable things that are said there, which do seem to bear out what you've said. Um, so, for example, this is claimed to be written by Father David on the 20th of May, 1980, and it has a number DFO number 999. And when I look at paragraph 68 and 69, I'll just quote it. Um, the only way to get free from him, and he's talking here about the devil, so the only way to get free from the devil and his lies and his prohibitions and guilt complexes about sex is to get rid of his lies and his lying propaganda, his anti-sex propaganda, and believe the Lord and his word and his creation and God's love and his freedom, that there's nothing in the world at all wrong with sex as long as it's practiced in love, whatever it is, or whoever it's with, no matter who or what age, or what relative, or what manner. Ew. Um, and then he goes on to say, and you don't hardly, you don't hardly dare even say these words in private. If the law ever got a hold of this, they'd try to string me up. They'd probably lynch me before I got to the jail. That's the quote. I don't know whether he said that or whether he wrote that. I'm certainly not going to say that he did because I really do not know, but it's there on the website and the claim is that he did. It seems to fit with what you've said, though. I believe this would have been one of the purged documents. I'm looking at it right now. It's 140 paragraphs long. This is one of those, you know, booklets. The devil hates sex, but God loves it. He made it. Sex is not a sin. Be fruitful and multiply. So you see all these things are good things. I mean, there's nothing wrong with sex, obviously. Mm. But it's very, it's very deceptive because then paragraph five, he's like, talk about teaching sex to children, allowing children to explore sexual activities. This was present and so many of us didn't see it because they purged these documents. They were just saying sex is a good thing. You know, there's nothing sinful about it as long as it's practiced in love and it's not hurting anybody. Great. So this came out of the, what was it called? The flirty fishing idea? This would have been around mid-70s to early 80s. They um, right. encouraged FFing, which was, well, we're going to do anything we can to get souls. So let's start going and dating in order to win souls. And it was effective, obviously, in certain areas. But right. I think they, they won, like, Gaddafi at some point. I think David Burke's <laughs> daughter uh, was living in Gaddafi's compound for a few years or something like that. I don't know the details right. about that. Wow. They went around the world. I mean, they infiltrated every country just with crazy faith. You know, a lot of well-meaning people, really wholehearted. I probably interviewed at least 10 of these people. Not pedophiles at all, these people that I've met. I mean, they weren't there for that. They didn't no, have the bug. Oh, sure. Once you realize that thing is around, if you don't fight it, though, I consider you, uh, what's the term where you're complicit to some crime or you're um, right. privy to something that's illegal? This is where we part ways with the group forever, as far as the group is concerned. Yeah. And I've been through hell with these people that cover up for pedophiles. So all I can say is, yes, this is probably true. I mean, I didn't I've never read anything that encouraged sex with children. But in the 80s, they purged out a lot of those old, hmm. you know, oh, the law better never get hold of this. It's like, wow, great way to like, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's turning away from yeah. that. Um, going back to the prophecy thing. Um, just another red flag for me here. Yeah. Um, again, this is on the xfamily.org website. Um, so again, I can't say whether it's genuine or not, but nevertheless, uh, here we have supposedly some very famous people speaking from beyond the grave. Mm. Uh, Audrey Hepburn, Elvis Presley, 
And these are supposedly communications. So again, this very distorted non-Christian teaching here. Uh, and it's clearly, it's just laughable, really. Here we have Elvis apparently communicating to uh, the, the faithful members of the Family International. Um, and he starts off singing. Well, I won't sing, but he starts off singing, I love you tender, I love you true. <laughs> Almost all my dreams are fulfilled. Oh, my darling, I love you and I always will. Uh, all right. So he stops singing and then he goes on saying, oh, it's good to be back. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. You're probably thinking, here comes another impersonator. But this time it's really me. I'm real glad for this opportunity to talk to you all my dear fans i'm so glad there's a bunch down there crazy enough to listen to us up here because we're very much alive up here some of you who believe that i'm still alive you're right i am i'm more alive than ever i'm so happy <laughs> when i see you thousands and you millions who love me so it really touches my heart i do appreciate your love and i do appreciate each and every one of you it's wonderful to be loved like that i don't know what i've done to deserve your love but I'm thankful for it. I enjoy pouring out to you all, singing to you, singing my heart out and thrilling you with the music and the love, as well as some of my crazy gyrations. Those hip movements were swell, weren't they? They sure rocked the world at the time. But I tell you, you ain't got no idea what's happening up here. There's some exciting stuff waiting for you if you'll just get a ticket for the greatest concert you will ever attend. Oh, it's 100% how Elvis sounds. Notice the yes. verbose kind of flow of... Like kind of certain phrases that were often repeated like, oh, honey, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wow, great. It's wonderful. Just receive, <laughs> open up your heart. I mean, fine. Those are fine things yeah. to say. But I mean, yeah. that's the spirit of like, OK, we're going to get a prophecy now. OK. Oh, I'm feeling it. Mm, the Lord, thus say the Lord. And, you know, just like anything right. goes. That was the first feeling that I got was like. So this is literally the anything goes school of martial arts and prophecy. Like you can just do anything you want and it's probably maybe a prophecy. It's, uh, it's, it's so extravagant. It was. And it's, the spirit of happiness is undeniable. Just being like, hey, brother, God bless you. Give me a hug. Oh, well, just have a seat here and let me get – would you like some coffee? We're not Mormons. We drink coffee and hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Let's pray. Okay, brother, you just close your eyes and pray. Let's, okay, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I just see in the spirit right now. Just I see just angels around you, brother. Just, hallelujah! You've been searching for a long time, haven't you, brother? It's okay, brother. You're home now. Just let it out. Come on, sister Amy. Just give this boy a hug and maybe sit in his lap and just give him a nice hug. And, you know, it was that spirit yeah. of like this overflow of mm. blissful but goofy, but you know, and very American. It has to and be very American too. Yes, because my experience of false prophecy is very English, of course, coming from my background. But I can tell you in very simply what it's like. So many times I've heard this same kind of false prophecy. Somebody gets up to the front and says, "I have a word from the Lord, my children. I love you," and I think, "Oh no, not again, not again." And it happens over. And over and over again. And you know what's going to happen. And it's the same person often <laughs> next Sunday. Here's the word. My children, I love you. I think, no, there's no way this is a prophetic word from the Lord. This is just banal. Yes, of course God loves us. Yeah. It's come to your mind again and you're right. going to say it, but it's not prophetic. Yeah. There's an English version of the same thing. <laughs> oh, that you mean that was an English pastor? So that would be somebody in the congregation, for example, who oh, goes yeah. up to the pastor and says, I okay. have a prophetic word yeah. from the Lord. 
It's the same thing. It's the same phenomenon. Well, I have to know. be completely honest in my own experience of, of trying to, okay, I want to get a prophecy. You know, I'm going to just, and then a lot of it is just Bible scriptures. You know, it could be something like that. But as long as you don't stop, if you continue, I've interviewed prophets that were not connected to this group or any other group that they would do that. But then they would actually, because they've been doing it for 30 years, they would be willing to jump you know, on a limb and start speaking certain things that could be completely wrong, but somehow they nailed it. Like a lot of it, like I wouldn't say every time, but enough to where you're like, okay, this is definitely Hmm. something, you know, and you're not sure like, okay, where is it that they might be making it up? And then where is it that God might actually be speaking? So I, Honestly, I don't really know the answer to that question. It's just that when you're... I don't know I don't know yeah, the answer, but I've reached the point now where I want to say that, although I think prophecy has a place, obviously I do, I think that it needs to be checked very carefully. Absolutely. And I think perhaps the leadership of a church might even sit on a prophecy for weeks weighing it before it comes out to a congregation, weighing it against the scriptures. To make sure that it coincides um, with the Mo letters, of course. <laughs> No. <laughs> no. Wait, what was but that? You know, <laughs> Get out of me! Demon! <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. I think yes. we've come to the point now where we need to be super careful about this stuff. Otherwise, we're going to get on that pendulum of swing of saying you know, anything goes or nothing goes. And I think you know that's going to be not faithful Sorry. to what the Spirit wants to do. Sure. We've got to check these yes. things. Um, so how did you come out of the family then? What happened? Oh, Kick you, you out know, of it? When uh, they tried to destroy my life and uh, when I started helping people to get out of the abusive situations that were around, I thought it was over. You know, I was studying Chinese. I was working, you know, three or four jobs. I was starting the podcast. Mm -hmm. I knew that we were jumping out of the trenches when we started the podcast. And within, I would say, less than a year, I interviewed a guy that was, um, he's a SIGINT, a signals intelligence officer. He worked in in Iraq or Afghanistan, I forget, but we're in touch quite a bit. And he's, he was on a show with me and I showed some of the family people that are still identified with the family. I was like, yeah, well, I'm doing this show and I'm interviewing this guy. And they freaked out. They were like, oh, how can you trust him? What if he's an infant? What if he's trying to get us? And I'm like, what are you so paranoid about? Like what's going on? I realized a lot of the security in the family was because of certain pedophile stuff that had happened in the past that it wasn't about the Antichrist finding them and killing them. It was about going to jail for real legitimate crime. I was then, I had my daughter kidnapped out of my house. I had the people that I was trying to help get out of the cult totally bullied and and emotionally abused for about a year. Um, I had all the people that were surrounding me that were in the family before turn against me basically and oh this is not our business or like oh well you know michael you do sound kind of negative right now as if that was a crime i had uh lawyers hired against me perjury committing people stand up in court and make up all kinds of weird nonsense and taking myself out of context and you know that year of 2017 2018 in taiwan was a war every time i turned on my facebook live or youtube live it was literally like I'm just going to try and keep doing this and we're going to just expose the criminals. And they were listening and they were furious against me. My, not just my ex-in-laws, but just people that were like raging criminal psychopaths. But then at the on the outside, they're like, well, praise the Lord, we're friends. <laughs> oh, we're just a nice <laughs> bunch of missionaries. It was disgusting. And so the, the night that we got 
there was a, a group of Norwegian ladies that we were a mother and her three daughters that we were working to get out of Taiwan. The night that we got them out, I got the ticket to come here and just move forward with my life. It was like, I'm not going to sit here and go to court and watch my daughter's poor little emotions get ruined by this. She's only seven. Hmm. And thank God, she's at least she's physically taken care of. But the spiritual side is really disgusting around that. And it's an unresolved campaign. But I just have to trust in the Lord that, you know, he's got things under control. And he told me, I mean, talking about prophecy, he's just spoke to me many nights where he was like, you need to listen to the story of Joseph. And I'm like, okay, God, because I was just, I mean, I was livid every night. I couldn't believe the way, and like, I would have my daughter for a few weeks, finally, after going through every possible legal thing. And Taiwan is a very corrupt legal system. They didn't do very much for me, but what the little that they could do. I was able to at least see her after a year of her being taken from me. And she was so confused and she was so lied to by these people. But she was sleeping in in the room and I, I heard the Lord speak to me to listen to Joseph. And I did. I fell asleep listening to the Bible. I woke up and I saw something in the room emanating from her. I saw like these arcs of energy coming out of her body, like ascending into the walls. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I don't see this stuff all the time. Hmm. But I woke up seeing something in the room and being like, what is that? You know, like if you saw something right now, you'd be like, whoa, shaken awake. It was physically in the room. And as soon as I saw it instantly, the whole room was full of peace. And I just fell asleep. The next morning I woke up and I was like, Lord, what was that? And he immediately, the first thought that jumped in my mind was, don't you think there's a reason why they're trying to destroy Kaya Basham? Her name is Kaya, which means, by the way. Estonian, and I th- which means what? Sorry, it means Echo in Estonian. I'm half Estonian, so with honor to my Estonian lineage, we named her Echo. You know, Kaya Bashman. So I have to trust that she will return back to safety and, and to my side. But it was a moment of realization that there are supernatural things that I can't explain. Yeah, it was like a superpower that I saw with my very eyes. I mean, I am not hmm. going to sit here and lie to the audience. I saw this. And it was a sign for me, God is really a God of justice and righteousness and goodness, but he does let his people go through really hard things. And so when I listened to that story of Joseph, I realized that's pretty much what we're going through right now. And But I'm not here to complain or bitch about that. I mean, I've got a beautiful wife who is, you know, she brought me a burrito, which is why we had some little interruption. And, you know, we're in Hawaii and we're still working on this, but the show must go on, you know, and it is it is a real war. It is not just against the yeah. but it's against the forces of darkness that are trying to destroy our children. Yeah. And, you know, I, in a sense, you've already answered the question I was going to ask you, but uh, maybe you could add a little bit more to it. I mean, I think a lot of people going through the kind of experience that you've just talked about there would think the most natural thing for you to do would be throw the towel in completely and just say, hey, you don't want anything else to do with God. So what is it that really kept you in there? Why have you not become an atheist? Why have you not just chucked it in and said, this is just too difficult for me to cope with? Well, I have some very loyal friends like Johnny, honestly, people that have also lost a lot of their family and friends. Mm. And I'm starting to realize reading the Bible that let's say you actually lived in Star Wars. Oh, it's fun. X-Wing fighter. We're going to fight the Death Star. It's horrible. You find out your dad is Darth Vader. He chops off your arm, tries to get you to join him. You're totally confused. Obi-Wan lied to you. 
the entire rebel army seems to be destroyed and and it's like this bedraggled team of just desperate warriors who are still going and i realized that's exactly where i am reading the bible right the real christian faith as far as discipleship goes i mean it's not like if you become a christian your life's gonna suck or something no but if you want to be a disciple you're gonna lose everything but you're gonna get everything i mean now i have a hundred times what i ever had before Hmm. just because his promise is you know you're gonna lose everything but you're also gonna get in this life and in the future with tribulations much more blessings of family fellowship uh Hmm. You know, I mean, I can't complain. I'm living across the street from Trump Tower, and anytime I have a few hours, I grab my wife and we drive the motorcycle down to the beach and we jump in there with the fishies. And but in my mind is still the understanding that we are in a war. We are yeah. facing the darkness. And I read the Bible not for inspiration and feeling good. That is my lifeline. I listen to podcasts, and Johnny says he does this too. We don't just listen to podcasts or make podcasts for fun or entertainment yeah. only. It's because when you don't have truth going through your mind, you literally want to start committing crimes. <laughs> like you have so many people that have just done you wrong. You're like, Lord God, I am, you know, I have every sin running through my veins unless you, you know, give me a blood transfusion. And I mean, I had mafia people in Taiwan calling me, offering to help me get my daughter back. They were like, you know, this is Taiwan. This is how it works. The legal system is going to give you this and this. And But if you want to get things done around here, you're going to have us. You know what it's like to go back to bed and be like, hmm. <laughs> I don't know what it's like. And then you wake and you tell them that. I mean, I warned oh. them. I'm like, you guys realize that it doesn't matter if, the, if Taiwan is a lawless country. You're begging me to do what you did and play the game the illegal way. But I'm not going to do that. You know, no. I'm not going to do it, but maybe he is. And then you open the door and this alien is like, you know, and then you get away. You know, when I left Taiwan, two children, uh, I say children, but they were in their 20s or their late teens, committed suicide within two weeks that I left that were in the family or affiliated closely with the family. Um, Darkness just spread all over those people. And I don't live in this hippie, happy, love, family cult anymore, but I kind of live in the whole Bible, like the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's much more meaningful, but it's uh, it's kind of scary when you really get down to it. It's like, what? It's real? He exists? And I am, I'm a happy person. I mean, I feel this is a this is not a real quote from G.K. Chesterton, but he said, if you want to find a real Christian, someone said that he said this. It sounds like Chestertonian. If you want to find a real Christian, you're going to find people that are surrounded by trouble, constantly in impossible situations, and insanely full of joy. And I was like, yep, that's true. You know? right. And uh, it is something that I can now extend to people and say, God will be with you through anything, and he has a future for you. But you are going to go through stuff. It's going to be worth it because you know what? Jesus died for us. So look, how can we complain? Absolutely. And he's given us this uh, power to be Jedi Knights coming back to <laughs> okay. the uh, symbolism that you use so expertly in your okay. show. And uh, I think the conversation that we've had certainly helps to make sense of the way in which you do present yourself in Spirit Wars. Um, so go over there, folks, and listen to Spirit Wars. It's very entertaining. Uh, 
don't always agree with everything you say, my dear chap, as will become <laughs> clear in this conversation, but that's just the way of things. But I do very much, uh, as I said before, appreciate the way in which you speak about the gospel in a language that's engaging, clearly very humorous, but I think very necessary for people, perhaps many people, who might not easily engage otherwise with more conventional ways of speaking about the gospel. Yes. So thanks for doing that and for sharing with us some of your experience today. Um, indeed, clearly at times very painful experience. So thanks ever so much for being with us and sharing that with us. I think I took the mic too much, Julian. We're going to have to do another show where I just interrogate you. You know, I'm going to tie you down to the chair and do full cult programming style. <laughs> like we were trained in the MI6 back in the days with the CIA co-working. And it'll be fun. You see, the fact is you're several voices. You can turn on to a different voice and be a different personality, you see. Okay. So that's why. <laughs> well... I'm just drinking coffee here, and I watch. I grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons and playing video games my old childhood. So it's just kind of detoxing now. So, mm-hmm. but I, it was such an honor to be on your show, and I thank you so much for just putting up with us today. Us, I mean me. And, uh, we'll <laughs> yes. How many of you are you? Are you Legion by any chance? Oh my gosh, <laughs> Legion has nothing on us. Okay, I'm uh, flagging here. It's getting towards. Well, it's not quite midnight yet, but it's getting. It's pushing towards that, and uh, yes. I haven't had a coffee now yes. for a few hours and it's, I'm beginning to fall asleep. Anyway, it's been a delight speaking to you. Thanks ever so much Mark for coming on. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to speak to you. It was a great honor. Thank you so much, Julian. I'll let you get to bed. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs>